0: one of the properties that we see that's exciting about fully on chain games is this idea of composability and i think a prerequisite for people to you know contribute to your games is you know having a, a little bit better tooling right now i think when i came into starting to build on chain games it's been a massive uh, change since then. I mean, things are getting better. We've got great tooling now, um, and it's only going to get better. And that's one of the things that we're working on, right? Because we want to take this, you know, excitement from, you know, we kind of leaned a little bit to the right in the last five years in, or last 10 years, I guess, um, where we went to these kind of full service oriented games, you know, things like World of Warcraft where, you know, basically the contribution was taken away and we saw sparks of contribution and composability with you know minecraft and roblox but the promise of these fully on chain games is that anyone can contribute anyone can own anyone can remix uh, and that's like super exciting about building on chain
1: games
2: Deus
3: Ex-Dow
4: Podcast.
3: So welcome to the Deus ex Podcast. Today we're talking about on-chain games, and it's actually our second episode about the topic. The first one was released a couple of months ago already, and there I was joined by Jekyll from Delphi Digital, who gave us an introduction to what fully on-chain games are. So basically, if you have no knowledge about the topic yet, I recommend you check that out. Um, that episode first. Today we focus on game engines for fully on-chain games and I'm happy to have like assembled an all-star team for that. Um, so we have Sebastien from Pima, Matt from Proof of Play, um, Jerome from Cometh and Nico from BitCraft uh, who's bringing us the, the investor perspective today. And your hosts are Akina uh, and me the only one who has their camera off. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe let's start with like a short round of intros first. And uh, maybe, Sebastian, you can go first and then nominate just the next person.
2: Hey, I'm Sebastian. I'm one of the co-founders of PyMet Studios. We're a framework for building on-chain games as well as a studio building on-chain games. we published four games to mainnet already, and we recently deployed Torchi, which is our on-chain RPG, to testnet as well. So we're building games as well as infrastructure uh, that's open on GitHub for people to build games using our stack as well. Uh, maybe I'll pass it over to Jerome from Cometh.
4: Hello, guys. Um, I'm Jerome. I uh, run a company called Cometh, which has uh, two activities. We have a game studio called Cometh Game Studio that did a couple of games already, uh, one of them being uh, in early 2021, one of the, one of the first fu- fully-enchant game going uh, into the mainnet of Polygon. Since then, we've been working on a second game that's going to be out in the next few weeks on Epic Game Store in its own L3 called Cosmic Battle. On the side, we create different middlewares and infrastructure pieces, for uh, mostly for onboarding, actually. Um, and uh, we like to explore various ways of putting the games fully on-chain.
1: My name is Nico. I am an investor on the Web3 side of BitCraft. BitCraft is a early-stage gaming-focused fund. We invest both in the, the web 2 gaming world and the web 3 gaming world um we made our first investment in the fully on chain gaming space two years ago now that was a company called Playment, um and have been very close to the space ever since i'm very excited to be here mostly to learn from the big brains here um i'm gonna try to um add whatever i can whenever i can and um yeah excited to learn more and i'll pass it to matt
0: All right. Uh, Lucky last, I think. Uh, But I'm Matt. Uh, I work at Proof of Play. I'm the head of engineering here. I have a traditional gaming background. So you can probably see in the background some of the games that I worked on. Uh, Probably the biggest game I worked on was a game called League of Legends. Uh, Super excited by on-chain games, especially the permanence of them and the composability. Um, You know, we make a game called Pirate Nation. It's been around since um, basically, a year now we launched when FTS crashed, which was a fun time to launch. Um, nice but we 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 launched with essentially nothing, um, and we saw some really interesting properties of people playing on chain games. And so uh, we like to uh, launch a feature basically every week. We have fifty-two weeks after fifty-two week releases, so uh, it's been a fun time to build so far.
3: Nice. So yeah. For our listeners, you can see that we have a good round together. Um, so maybe to get started, let's let's just ask like, why are you building engines, or or Nico for you, like why are you interested in in game engines?
2: Yeah, sure. So we were super interested in trying to get to you know building on chain games. So we've seen the growth of the modular stacks in cryptos. There's no longer really like one monolithic chain that does everything, and people are building really specific stacks for specific goals. DA layers, CK layers, F H T layers. Someone recently talked to me about a network that's just is just for time lock encryption. That's all they do. Right. And so we've seen this like expansive growth of uh, modular stacks. And these are really interesting as game developers because you're seeing all this technology come on. You're like, oh, like I want to use this, I wanna use this, but there's no way you could possibly have a single engineer like learn all these stacks. It's just not possible. And we, so we thought there's gonna be like a lot of value in having this kind of like gaming stack that abstracts us away from the game developers. So they can leverage the different stacks they need uh, for their game, and just have the, the single programming language that they write in and have a unified view over all these different layers together. And so that's been our goal at Prime Engine to not only like write this engine, but also build games using this engine as well. Maybe Matt, you want to
0: go next? Yeah, and, and feel free to jump in afterwards, Jerome, or jump in in the middle if you want to debate. But. Uh... I mean, for me, it's, you know, one of the properties that we see that's exciting about fully on-chain games is this idea of composability. And I think a prerequisite for people to, you know, contribute to your games is, you know, having a a little bit better tooling, right? Now, I think when I came into starting to build on-chain games, it's been a massive uh, change since then. I mean, things are getting better. We've got great tooling now, um, and it's only going to get better. And that's one of the things that we're working on, right? Because we want to take this, you know, excitement from, you know, we kind of leaned a little bit to the right in the last five years, or last 10 years, I guess, um, where we went to these kind of, full service oriented games you know things like world of warcraft where you know basically the contribution was taken away and we saw sparks of contribution and composability with you know minecraft and roblox but the promise of these fully on chain games is that anyone can contribute anyone can own anyone can remix uh, and that's like super exciting about building on chain games uh jerome i see you yeah. jumping
4: in yeah, I think uh, what you um, what you both mentioned is uh, what I what I like to put under the the hood of uh, on chain as metagame. Like uh, you consider what's uh, the, the old composability service and um, the the history of the players, the, the 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 different tokens that they own, the different experience that they had, uh, the different services that are laying around, and how you can involve them into uh, building up on top of your games. Uh, so that's definitely uh, uh, a a trend that uh, we observe all around the. Uh, Small on-chain game industry, but ever, ever growing since, uh, since the, uh, I think this is the year 2020. We've seen, uh, we've seen massive growth in this, uh, in this kind of narrative. On the, on the side, what motivated us is, uh, using, uh, gaming blockchain tools for financialization of the games. Um, when, when players are seeking economic superiority of uh, one game against another or a true uh, social experience about uh, uh, what an economy is inside a game, uh, at Cometh we kind of felt like blockchain is kind of the perfect medium for this with uh, an economic layer that's uh, superior in various ways to the, the state of Web2 games. Uh, one of the examples i like to, I like to say is like the, if, you, if you were to craft an armor mixing iron and leather, uh having the recipe for the armor being an LP from iron to leather uh allow you to have a, a dynamic recipe uh, with the with the amount of leather and iron that is circulating in your game. Um, so that there's there's many things you can add into the, the financialization of your game from a virtual economy standpoint to make the gaming experience feel more real and feel more participative and feel more uh transparent from the player's perspective. And overall, when you combine all of those metagames and hyperfinancialization, you end up with what I call the third hood of, uh, of blockchain gaming, which is autonomous world. I think your game being fully autonomous from its creators, from its uh, from any potential servers or potential uh, uh, point of failure, like the, the game is ever running because it has a blockchain as a back end, and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a huge promise. Uh, but when we first stepped into the the blockchain gaming space, we were just uh, a bunch of uh, blockchain engineers passionate with games, and then just wanted to see how we could bring more people into playing uh, playing with blockchain, not playing games per se. Like we wanted to find what could uh, what could bring play people into 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 blockchain and and DeFi and speculation was uh, was a. Uh, a powerful uh, a powerful magnet for a lot of people but we wanted to see something and to make something that was more uh, retail focused something that will justify the technology by itself and not just by transfer of values and uh and since then well as you said like the the, the whole tooling was uh, pretty much in existence <laughs> two years ago uh now we have a lot of things a lot of things that we had to build as a different company playing around in the field but also that a lot of things that are getting more mature and that's uh, really cool to see uh, to see happening
0: it's really interesting with the financialization stuff you mentioned. I mean, I think we saw the explosion with just royalties as a use case, mm-hmm. but in games, obviously, there is like thousands of other ways to explore that, yeah. and so that's going to be really exciting and see how different pieces in- interconnect.
4: Yeah, one thing uh, I've heard about, uh, like general, uh, um, how, to, how to frame it, like uh, uh, interoperability of assets. Like, ever uh, when you know when we're, we had the first backlash with. Uh, uh companies like Ubisoft trying to revive uh uh not not so well performing licenses with uh yeah we're gonna put blockchain into this and suddenly people just uh, start to say NFTs are are evil you should not do it and so on and so forth <laughs> I've, I've been trying to listen to various uh, traditional gaming uh, uh podcasts about uh, professionals talking about this uh, this thing and a lot of them were like oh you, you cannot have uh you cannot you cannot use my IP into your game it, it's not right it's like uh we don't we don't want you to give composability. It's not it's not the right way to do it. This uh, this utility is just float, nobody wants that. So I guess sure, if you if you have Mario uh, playing in uh, in Elden Ring, that doesn't sound so cool. Uh but if you have Mario rendered in the Elden Ring engine, uh from a graphic perspective with a cool medieval armor, like it makes total sense. And it it makes me want to buy an a Mario NFT. So like yeah. And uh, at some point I feel this kind of uh this kind of uh uh, anti uh, royal, well, anti interoperability, and, and 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 also like, I restriction on. The, I don't want it to be too much of variable and, and and too much good looking in various games. It's going to fall because of the royalty aspect and of the and of the the, the ask from the players, like being able to use your history as a gamer elsewhere. It's a super powerful uh, value proposition in my opinion.
0: The IP thing is really interesting to explore because I think. There's obviously the optimistic use case of like, hey, I want to have my own my game, but then there's the pessimistic use of case of like, hey, what if like it's been taken and it's being used for something that's you know not appropriate, especially for us, like we're trying to make assets that are, you know, following Nintendo's lead like age appropriate for everyone. You know, anyone can play whether what age they are, but like, we don't have any systems to figure out like, hey, what is the appropriate place for your IP to fit in? And what are the controls for that? And I think that's going to be something that we'll see come around. Like we've seen some trends, like you know, the Mlady community is a really interesting one to look at, like how do we solve that problem?
2: Yeah, and I think for games, like there's gonna be kind of a trade off between how much sovereignty do you want and how much composability do you want? Obviously the more composability you give, uh, the more you can integrate with other systems, but a lot of times for games, you want to maintain some level of sovereignty about, you know, what assets people can bring in, about how fast you can do the updates, this kind of uh, system. And so, you know, having sovereignty does not necessarily mean taking it off-chain. You know, you can still have something off-chain, but keep sovereignty about, like, how things compose together. And so, I mean, for us, especially at Prima, like, what we're super interested in is, you know, trying to, like, allow composability while also allowing... Game developers to opt in to have sovereignty on different parts of their game, and they can choose like which part of their game they, they give up. And I think I think it's especially useful for like people coming in trying to build stuff. So sometimes like building stuff to be composable is like really hard and really expensive. Uh, so it doesn't come for free. And so a lot of times like when you're iterating on a game, you need to iterate as fast as possible to get product market fit. And so you want to just like have as much sovereignty as possible, iterate as fast as possible. And like once you know you have a certain product market fit, you have some good feedback, you can start like making your game more and more composable because. Uh, realistically, nobody cares about integrating your game unless it's good, right? You care about integrating other people's stuff, but mostly you care about like, unidirectional. Until your game is good, then people want to integrate with your stack. And so, giving people that that flexibility to like start decentralized, but with sovereignty and moving that more and more towards composability. possibilities, so I think it's going to be something that's going to be really interesting.
0: On that point, Sebastian, do you feel like um, the same applies to engines? I mean, what's the point of building an engine if no one's using it? Like, do you still see that chicken and egg problem?
2: Uh, I mean, if you look at the engines right now, basically, everybody's building their own games. Um, you know, at Pima Studios, we're building their own games. Um, obviously, Dojo's building their own games. Lattice is building their own games. Um, so I think at this point, like, everybody is aware that the market is, like, not, you know, at its peak yet. And a lot of people who are interested in building games are primarily doing this as a hobby project right now. It's up to the engines to kind of uh, lead that. So if you look at, like, the top on-chain games that have player accounts, they're also, like, typically all built by the engines. Um, so I think, you know, the engines definitely have a role to, you know, be trailblazers as well as if you look at on this call what they said, uh, one thing we're all kind of passionate about is is retail, building stuff for retail as opposed to necessarily for enterprise or like B2B stuff. And so I think like, you know, for us as engines also to like, you know, be able to build this infrastructure, but still have it like be real uh, heavy as like a target audience. is also like kind of an interesting mix.
1: So I, I have a question. I know that Paima is very much building an engine on, on purpose and 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 wants to commercialize it. Um, I was not aware of Proof of Play or Cometh doing that. Could you guys elaborate? I'm assuming you're building something for your your own needs. Um, Ooh. is the is the goal to ultimately commercialize that?
4: Matt, um, you want to go first, or? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for us, we're
0: building one out of necessity, right? Um, When we started building, you know, MUD wasn't around and other engines were around. And even still, I think the engines are are still pretty primitive of what they're doing. And so for us, I mean, in every game that I've worked on, we've had to kind of do that. Like even at, at Riot, like we ended up purchasing an engine and then heavily customizing it. And so I think we're that early that potentially for us, like going out and just building an engine and trying to market it would be pretty crazy. Um, I think that we still need to figure out what we're trying to build. Um, our strategy around engine is very much like, hey, if we build a great game and then people want to use the technology that we've built, then we'll consider using that and like productizing it, but it's not our primary goal. Our primary goal is definitely build a great game that drives you know player adoption.
4: Yeah, on our end uh, we are uh, extremely uh, ex- extremely happy that other people are building engines. And, uh, and tackling these uh, extremely hard problems, uh, we did uh, we did a couple of uh, hackathons uh, uh, on using different uh, using different engines like uh, the, the 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 mud uh, if global hackathon like, notably and um, and things like that and we worked on various projects around mud. I, I know less uh, the the architecture of uh, of paima and uh, and curio and others, uh, but I, I I recognize how much of a of a of a heavy lifting in terms of engineering works it is uh in our case I, I like to compare the the state of um of on games as the the history of uh of, of civil uh civil flights you know you start with uh start with small planes that just uh they just float <laughs> and then you start you had a you start to ride the rotor and a, and a fan in a way to to move a bit forward and then you start to tackle super hard problems like a higher enemy like uh, like being able to push super sufficiently high with the jets and so on and, and so forth and um i'm 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 crazy about following what's the the progress on those uh, on those different engines uh, but when it comes to building a game that's uh that that can live uh only on chain we, we try to stick to the minimum in terms of uh, of game design so that the game can uh, can properly work uh on its own uh this um this is a this is a challenge because you know, you, if if you were to just imagine your own physical uh, physics system, uh, your your physic physics engine, the, the persistence of your world, and so on and so forth, you start to end up in a in a complete framework where you need something much bigger. And you say like, okay, let's stop building the game and start building the thing. Uh, our our initial game was just a uh, one smart contract saying like we have we have we have a um, um, trajectories of the spaceship that are circles simple okay we we, we tracked the position of this of the of the spaceships with the the clock of the blockchain okay and now let's create a let's create something that uh functions so that we can call so that the, the the ship can move and that that was pretty much it so you just jumped from one trajectory to another trajectory at a specific time in space and and that's it and we created a game loop around that uh so you imagine that that's that's really not many things that you put on chain and still uh, it, it needed a about ten different smart contracts that were hard to maintain that we that were hard to uh, that that were hard to evolve um hard to add features on uh, and you were oftentimes afraid to break something and then you had to build an index an indexer on top of it uh, to make it seamless from the from the front end perspective so i I totally understand the the allure of uh, of going uh, full engine like okay let's start with the engine and find something that's uh that's modular enough and that's uh that's practical enough so we can uh, we can build on top of and evolve it. Uh, from a, a company perspective, we are uh, we are we are super excited and passionate about building games. Like from the the game studio side, and we try to find good loops on on small things. Uh, we have we have our dreams and uh, and, uh, and and ambition to do something much bigger, but we, we wait for the, for the underneath technology to be uh, to be much uh, much more mature. Uh, and we commercialize middlewares that are for onboarding because we, we know that's that's where the games are are, are struggling the most. Like uh, making sure that your game is. At least as easy to use as a Web two game uh, is it's, uh, it's, is it's paramount if you want to get out of the the Web three niche, and that's what we will put we where we put most of our blockchain engineering efforts right now.
3: I would yeah, like I mean, to dive for... deeper. Oh, yeah,
2: sorry. C- continue first. Yeah. Yeah, I said you know for Prime Minister Studios, you know we're building games ourselves. Right now, we probably spend like four engineering hours on infrastructure for every one engineering hour on the game development. So it shows that, like, you know, although you, you can build games, we, you know, publish public games live, like, it's still very much like infrastructure heavy, you know, as an ecosystem at this point. Uh, but to to continue to your point, like, you know, one of the really amazing things has been that a lot of other, like, middleware providers have gotten really interested in, like, connecting to the, like, on-chain gaming ecosystem. So we have, like, you know, a lot of these companies, like, reach out to us and, like, hey, like, we'd like to integrate with your game engine, like, how we can work together. And, you know, at Prime mean, so we cannot possibly solve every problem out there. And so, you know, one of the awesome things about working kind of like in a retail space, it allows you to, you know, more easily work with, you know, all these different other companies in the crypto ecosystem and, um, you know, do this as like a, you know, joint project in a sense with everybody else in crypto. And not necessarily just for Pima, you know, these companies are also, you know, talking to Dojo and Lattice and all these other projects out there as well. And we're all kind of like, you know, working together to that goal of like this kind of integrations for games.
3: Yeah, I'd like to dive deeper into what the engines are actually supposed to do like for example what are like the must-have components and the nice to have like an indexer for example right or providing games with like a stable tick rate stuff like that could you explain like each of you like how do you see this and how do you handle that
4: uh well if if you're building on polygon in the early days like um Handling uh handling indexing is uh, is paramount. Um so w- w- for, for for the people that are listening and don't know what indexing is, uh, your your game has a front end, like uh, you you're showing graphics and uh, people are are looking at what's happening in your game uh, from a screen, basically. Uh, but your game has to your your, your stack, everything your technical stack has to to communicate with what's happening on the chain and render that in the front end so you're constantly listening to uh to what's happening in the different smart contracts that are uh uh your game essentially and uh and caching those events somewhere that you can uh, uh efficiently efficiently query and and render in your frontend and that that's what indexing is at large it's um, listening to blockchain events ordering them in a the database that can be queried and then um, and then used for uh, for front-end purposes or update purposes and information to the to the to the end users or to different middlewares. Um, the fact uh, the the fact that we are on the on the chain is that we have to rely on a on a shared database as the as the base layer, and the shared database can have hiccups in how it is um, updated. Uh, like for example, uh, on a, it's it's not it's not a. It's, it's it's not too much uh too, too rare it's actually pretty common sometimes in certain blockchain that uh, you have a different blocks that are uh, competing against each other at a certain as a certain uh, uh, heights uh, for block n you have n prime n prime prime and so on and uh, after two or three blocks like uh, it's n prime that1 so that's n prime' that gets canonical but when you are trying to feed the data uh, to your players in real time in the graphic interface, you have to understand those kind of hiccups and make sure that uh, you are you are showing the, the data that is canonical because sometimes players have to make a decision to attack, withdraw, uh, Byzantine problem, by, basically. Um, and the more you have uh, noise on the 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 block history, the harder it is. And also, the, the less reliable your uh, RPC endpoint, the way you listen to the blockchain, uh, the, le- the less this endpoint is reliable, the harder it is to index and the more you have a complexity in your smart contracts the more things you have to uh, to order and listen to so uh public blockchain is kind of uh, kind of hard to index and kind of hard to to follow uh, but we have more uh, more ease on doing that on the roll-ups, uh because of the the unicity of the sequencing uh, aspect of uh, of roll-ups. Uh we can listen to the to the rollup and make sure that uh, that uh, we listen to the sequencer and have a and have a good history uh, and overall it's uh it's uh, it's, a, it's it's also an hard architecture problem i let uh, matt and Sebastian discuss about uh, what they prefer between uh, Kafka and, and that stuff and so on to manage the different listeners but um, it's a uh, it's a struggle to to find something that, that's that scale right and doesn't consume much uh, much uh, DevOps and, uh, and, and resources.
0: Oh man, Kafka, it's throwing me back because we, we use that extensive, extensively. It's a good analogy, right? Like blockchain is an event queue. Um, I mean, I think when you're taking an approach to building an engine, you have to let the game development inform the engine development. It's all good to talk about, indexes and like how we want to arrange the data for the client, but that's going to change from game to game, right? Like if you wanted to have a first person shooter, then having extremely fast, low latency, you know, um, essentially like close range data between peers, that potentially is resolved on the blockchain, maybe a a pattern that is very different to say a card game where, you know, you you have pretty easy set rules and you want players to see certain information. And so I think that we are discovering and we're all kind of discovering at the same time, um, different things that we are trying to solve. And if I had a crystal ball, I could not tell you what like, you know, the major problem we'll be solving in nine months from now is I could kind of look at like, hey, these are the problems that all of the teams in the space Are solving. These are some of the approaches that people are taking. And a lot of us are coming up with similar approaches. I know, Seb, you were talking about, like, you know, we we have a similar mirroring approach and things like that. Um, But I think, again, like the approach to game game development as a general is like figure out from the player first what you want to achieve and then figure out how to wrangle, you know, all of these cool decentralized things that we want to, you know, give players ownership for uh, and let that inform your development. Yeah, I mean, from our experience
2: talking to projects, there's usually four key points that they're looking for. One is, of course, being be, being able to actually build their game. Like, it can't be too hard. They have to be able to, like, come and actually build it, and notably build it cheaply. Like, a lot of the people who are getting into game development, not just in Web 3, but just Web 2 as well, they're, like, you know, students or, like, you know, people are just, like, trying to, like, build something, and they, they don't have, like, a large budget to build, like, a triple a experience. So being able to, like, do it at, like, a cheap price point is super important for games as well. Um, So easily, cheaply, Uh, second one is like building safe, like especially a lot of NFT projects are looking into gaming. They're looking at like all these projects that are like mooning based off their, you know, game. And they're like, oh man, like I want to game for my NFT project as well. Uh, People are like really scared of building anything on chain because of the risk of hacks. And so this has been like number two concern. Uh, Number three is onboarding users. People are scared of like not getting enough users for this game. So engines being able to like guarantee easier user onboarding is super important. And I think class one is iterating like for games, like you, they feel like a lot of the Web3 games right now, they basically like ship once and it's over. It's just like too hard to wrangle like 20 slightly files and it's just not worth it. So you just ship and then you move on. Um, but I think like, you know, for games to have like a longer lifespan, being able to like iterate fast on these is super important. And that's something that's still really hard in the space.
4: I'm, I'm curious for, for uh, uh, Sebastian and Matt specifically on indexing. Uh, have you guys considered uh, having your players install a node? <laughs> Oh, we are, yeah, we're doing so, local indexing. You install a node, guys.
2: Yeah, so for Pima Engine, the way it works is basically as a game developer, you write a state machine in JavaScript, mm-hmm. and then that state machine is basically like the game node. And so you can you know, upload your state machine to wherever you want, and then people can run their own game nodes. So Pima, although it's a layer 2 framework, it's not like a centralized layer 2. Anybody who wants to run their own game node uh, can spin up the game, uh, rehydrate the entire game state and you can even run like your own batcher. So if you want to like have people submit game inputs to your, to, like through you instead of like the official like RPC for the game, anybody can spin this up. So we put a lot of thought into trying to make it like not uh, centralized. So anybody can just like run the game themselves. Hmm.
0: Running your own Nerdfoot client seems pretty crazy. I think like holding the, the whole state of, like holding the whole state of the chain. Like if you're on a bestowed, bespoke chain, it may make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think really, realistically, we have to look about what information does the person want and from that game, right? Like, obviously, there's some static information about themselves, the world, and then there's more information pertaining to them, and then there's information pertaining to things they access. Like, you know, maybe they go and interact with another player. You want to know about their inventory and their things they know about. So I think that the RPC kind of node design is not optimal for that. And I think we need to, you know, as a as a industry come together and, and figure out ways to design for the player access patterns that we're trying to come together and see. And we're seeing that, right? Like indexes are starting to pop up that will allow that. And we're iterating on that.
4: I mean, for yeah, the... related to this, like, oh, go ahead. Please.
2: And like a lot of projects come in and try and handle this by shipping their solidity contracts with like EVM TS or like having the EVM run locally in their browser to do optimistic updates. And I've seen also a lot of companies just give up on that approach. Uh, so it's kind of like optimistic update system to like have people run contracts in their browser do not have to wait. It's like a super hard problem. And I don't think anybody has like a really perfect solution for this. Um, and you know, I think more like broadly, like not just our optimistic pro- uh optimistic updates like kind of an unsolved problem right now, a lot, a lot of people are tackling it. Just anything that has to do with player versus environment as well. Like, obviously, like, there's PvP battles in games that's important, but also there's a lot of stuff like player versus environment. Like, you're, you know, fighting an NPC in the game, and mm-hmm. how do you make that uh, work really well? Because if you're playing against the environment, it's not necessarily a need to sync on-chain, but it still needs to be provable. And so I think there's a lot of, like, startup uh, opportunities in that domain that nobody's really addressing, uh, and everybody, like, is kind of struggling on these points.
4: So, um, I've been, uh, I've recently had a chat with a traditional web 2 company, a web uh gaming company that were uh, starting to build up their, their, their next game and wanted to uh, introduce a web 3 aspect inside of it. And they, they have a, they have a client that you, a game client that you, that you install because the game is a, is an online game. And they were like, Oh, so we, we picked this technology for the, for the wallet and we are going to, uh, generate a wallet at the installation phase. And then blah. Yeah. Let's go. Then we started to chat a bit more, and like, yeah, we wanted to be on our own chain at some point. So, like, well, what, what about uh, putting a, a node of the chain inside the, the install? Because, like, why not? Uh, and uh, and I, I think it's a it's a nice idea if you are on a dedicated uh, app chain. Um, supposedly, uh, you're not uh, you're not um, you're not producing blocks when nobody's playing, so that's fine. Uh, and you get well, that, de- whoever, that depends uh, on which chain you chose. So I think I, I know what chain you chose
0: based <laughs> on that. Um, I think I, the problem I, I is the state the like platform. the RAM requirements for state are crazy for that. Like I think you're going to end up dishing a lot of RAM to your to your clients. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it, if you're targeting like users that have a lot of RAM, it should be fine.
4: Yeah, I know. And, and also, like uh, if you if you start to do some uh, some online, well, uh, if you're using uh online uh, online gaming capacity like uh, like GeForce Now and so on, you get that, that's that's also feasible, but more from a from a gaming experience perspective. Like let's say you are on a game that uh, that is a uh, a builder's game, like you are building a bigger and bigger city. Uh, you've been offline for two days. You are starting up the game, and so you need a. Like 30 minutes to sync and the 30 minutes where you're getting sync you're like oh my goodness matt has built this big train oh and sebastian he has now a airport oh my goodness okay you see things popping, and like oh you're in sync let's go that's a that, that that's a cool experience
3: <laughs> maybe we can go further guys into uh, the technical aspect of uh, the blockchain infrastructure um, what are your thoughts about uh, different approach and trade-off of uh, horizontal scaling for example uh evm components or building at cosmos what are your thoughts about this different uh, approach of uh uh, fully on-chain gaming infrastructure
2: yeah it's uh obviously like a really complex problem like i think maybe to tie into the discussion we just had like for example uh to if you like your Deploying your game to a public network, obviously there's a bunch of transactions unrelated to your game also coming up. And if your game has to synchronize the, all every transaction, even when it's unrelated to your games, get to the full state, like this can be really slow. Um, and so people are really inspired by like the idea of like data availability sampling, these kinds of things that DA layers do. This is really hard to combine with games because games also need like passive time and uh, you know tick rates and all this kind of stuff, and it's hard to combine all this together. Um, and so trying to like leverage these different components together is, you know, basically what we spent almost all our time on at Time Engine. It's, you know, trying to figure out how we can, you know, have the A layers work together with, you know, layers for settlement, with layers for ZK, with layers for all these things. And uh, trying to combine this together is uh, you know, very much a, a non trivial uh, problem.
4: Yeah, for me the the zk related uh, layer 2s are um, ex- extremely uh, extremely interesting and, uh, and and full of uh, of high, very high potential. I I don't consider them uh, mature enough for what we want to do on our end right now. I will uh, I will uh, have another look and uh, and um, and um, and think about it for for our next game definitely uh, related to uh, EVM stuff uh, the we we kind of realized with our first experience on uh, on polygon pos uh, back in the days that um um when you have a game that's fully on-chain that's attracting let's say 10k players that are regularly playing not on a, not on a, on an hourly basis but just on a on a daily basis like the the cost of uh, of transaction becomes so high that um well you get a you 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 have to provide an extremely good uh, experience to your players or you have to pay them to continue uh, to continue playing So it it makes a very uh, very strong case for uh, having your own chain if you are considering having uh, more than ten k players and uh, call your favorite rollup as a service to know uh, how much they will charge you and what they will uh, they will propose to you Uh, uh, and that that can be really good like consider it Um, on on our end we have uh, chosen to uh, to build our next game on top of uh, its own rollup an arbitrum based well, it's Arbitrum Orbit, uh, anchoring on Arbitrum One, so technically a layer three on Arbitrum One, and it's going to benefit from the Stylus upgrade uh, that is running Wasm on parallel of the EVM. So it's really a shortcut to say uh, we have access to another VM to do uh, crazier stuff and more uh, and more uh, and yeah, crazier stuff and, and still keep it on chain. So at first the the, the game won't be uh, won't be fully on chain. It will be later on when we have the the stylus upgrade and be able to uh, uh, execute the the the, the games uh, between players inside Wasm and port the the results in um, in the AVM. Um, and that's uh, that. I think that's a good segue between uh, uh, having a, uh, a super resilient and adapted uh, uh, engine to to use from the get go for the AVM and, uh, and and relying on the on this uh, on this shortcut for for now. Um but again the, mat- the maturity of the technology, even if we uh, we think uh, optimistic are a little bit better right now. We still have to wait a lot for the upgrade to be there, for the thing to be there, and so on and so forth. And you get to be uh, dependent on the on the update that will come from um uh, from uh, from other uh, talented uh, teams and talented companies that are trying to ship some something that doesn't break when you when you launch it. Um And I'm I'm afraid I don't know much about uh, how the the Cosmos ecosystem and its core works. So I will not uh, not comment on that.
0: I feel like I do a deep dive on this every couple of months, right? And you almost have to put your investor hat on. So Nico, I would would love after my answer for you to give me like your point of view on it. But for a lot of it, um, we're trying to focus on portability because I think there are so many teams in the space that are trying to solve this scalability problem that you want to be ready to use the one that has the breakthrough and wins out. You know, obviously ZK is kind of up in the air, um, but you know, there could be one mathematical breakthrough and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, ready to use, right? Um, I think the the key here is to keep an eye on what's happening in the space. You know, we haven't achieved horizontal scalability, which I think is kind of a prerequisite for a mass market game. Um, And there are teams trying to grapple with that. There are teams trying to grapple with like getting the most juice out of it, like things that are, you know, pulling in ref and rewriting the state. Um, And so I think the right answer here is to act like a VC and kind of like sit back, watch all of the teams and, and make key investments in your time. Uh, to, you know, not focus all of your time on on fixing a problem that everyone else is. Nico, what's your thoughts on, like, the team's building chains and scalability, and and what have
1: you seen in terms of trends? Um, You know, I think I'd I'd echo what you said there at the end. Um, It's really difficult to take a stance right now because we don't know how this technology will evolve. Um, What I've observed... um, from the investor side of things within the fully on-chain gaming space is that there's quite a bit of appetite for engines. And my thesis for that is that a lot of the investors in the space are crypto-native investors um, who don't feel comfortable making content bets. And so they tend to see engines as a sort of shotgun approach, um, which essentially de-risks content um content risk, right? Um, If you invest in an engine on which 100 games are built and, you know, only a handful of those games become wildly successful, then you get to profit, um, hopefully, from from that success um, versus having to pick those five uh, becomes pretty hard. And so that's why we've actually seen quite a few very um, successful, I would say, and uh, pricey rounds over the past couple of years within the space, specifically for fully on-chain gaming engines. Um, You know, as at BigGraft, given that we are gaming investors at heart, we feel more comfort to take content bets, which means that we don't necessarily have to pay up to do engine investments, and so um, we have not yet made a, a you know engine dedicated um, investment, um, but we've seen that that there is some interest, um, and we're happy to sit back for the moment and see how things evolve with different technologies. I think you know a, a bunch of different approaches have been mentioned. Um, you know, I'm I'm a fan personally. Of, of, I'm very interested in what what's happening on the zk side. I think there's potential there, but again, there's still a ton to be proven out.
4: Well, I, when you say that uh, they are less and less prone of doing a content bets, uh, I mean we, we meet we meet people in the, the blockchain uh, gaming industry all the time, and they're like, "Oh, we're talking to so many VCs. People are interested. They want to put this. They want to put that." It's so hard to get to get to the to the uh, to, to, uh, to our seed objectives and things like that. Like, do you, do you think they have been? Uh, well, they, there's definitely a liquidity squeeze right now in the um, in the, the VC. Because it's i believe it's just harder to raise funds so people are being more picky on uh, what they invest in and that's that's great uh for that double cycle but do you think they the the con the, the people that used to do content bets have uh, all switched to infrastructure because uh, or most of them switched to infrastructure because they've been burnt by the the play to earn era and uh and the the, the least uh the, the less appealing uh waves in, uh, in nfts and so on how do you mm-hmm. analyze that
1: so one of the problems that we have in the Web3 space is that the moment companies launch a token or an NFT, there is this ticker that represents the market's um, feelings and thoughts about how well the company is doing, right? And um, that is a good feeling when everyone's happy and the market is up, but that becomes a bad feeling when the market is down, which we're in crypto inevitably happens at some point. And so, you know, some like sometimes I've had the impressions of a lot of very crypto native investors that they, you know, they were like, Hey, I spent a thousand hours in world of Warcraft or RuneScape. I know how to invest in games. Um, and then, you know, they make a bet on a degenerate team that has a, a cool new way to do something with NFTs. Um, and you know, that's then their content bent bet. but making games is extremely hard. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of like, technical, uh, digital products. There are there are not many things that, that are as complex and have as many difficult moving pieces to get together well as a game. And on top of that, it's, it needs to be fun, which is more of an art than a science. And so making a great game that works is hard. Making a fun game that works is is very hard. Um, and so it, it's just really hard to do these content investments. Um, and so, yes, Jérôme, I think a lot of very crypto-native VCs, investors have burnt their hands on trying to do content bets. Have now realized that it's harder than they initially thought. That their experience um, trading in RuneScape is not super relevant um, in this very complex world, and that's why they're now trying to be either like do what they understand better, which is like complex cryptographic uh, systems, or um, yeah, or and, and or just generally stay away from from content investments.
0: I would love to see a correlation of crypto VCs and people that dominated the markets in RuneScape and the WoW auction house.
1: It's like any person that I come across in this space feels like they've played, they spent a couple hundred hours or thousand hours in an MMO at some point in their, in their childhoods.
3: Yeah. It's basically yeah, I mean, MMO players and poker players, right?
1: <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. 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 Yeah,
2: I think if if you're interested in building apps, you're much better off talking to protocols than VCs. Um, a lot of blockchains are now launching and are desperate for apps to come on board. Optimism is giving a bunch of grants, Arbitrum is giving a bunch of grants. Everybody's trying to onboard like as many apps as possible, and they're much more willing to take a, a risk than VCs are on the app side. Whereas usually infrastructure is a bit harder to get um, grants for unless it's like very specific to a specific chain. Um, so if you're building like an app, I suggest like talking to protocols, since the VCs is probably better use of your time, at least in my experience. Um, you know, at least for like, you know, getting back a bit to the discussion, like I'm super interested in, uh, ZK. Um, I think right now there's like a lot of experiences that ZK really enables. So you can't really get elsewhere. There's still obviously a lot of uh, difficulties with ZK. Like how do you do the uh, circuit updates in a way that's meaningful? How do you build large games without getting the prover size to blow up? Um, especially around flexibility as well. Like um, by building something in ZK, you lose a lot of sovereignty over how your game works because now if anybody wants to contribute the game, you also need to somehow like hook into that ZK circuit, which is not easy. And there's definitely projects looking into this like Pixel Law. a really an interesting project trying to do like these like, you know, ZK circuits that you can also like compose and add new rules into. Um, And so I think, uh, you know, for us, we're looking into ZK, but more like mixed mode ZK. So you can have like, part of your game ZK, part of your game not, because there's some things like matchmaking, like do you really need a matchmaking system to be ZK? Like, probably not. Uh, and the less ZK you have, like the more sovereignty you have and the higher throughput you have, um, especially because like, if you look like, at ecosystems like Starknet, like Polygon, ZK, VM, their TVL right now is only like 100 million approximately, and they have limited user base. And so going deep into that ecosystem, I'll see is hugely helpful for, you know, being on the cutting edge of that tech and you know getting grants getting ecosystem support so i definitely like you know don't think this is a bad option um but also um, you know right now if you want to build a game with like a huge user base with high liquidity like this kind of mixed mode is i think like currently the best option that's that's kind of what we're focusing on
0: what's the coolest thing you've seen in in like some of these zk use cases i mean to call out one of nico's investments playment open sourced their like zk based game where all the gameplay was in circuits it was wild they're not doing that now but like it was awesome to see it on GitHub.
2: Yeah, um, I think like the main benefit of of ZK uh, from our perspective is trying to build better player versus environment use cases. Like, as I mentioned, um, you know, doing state channels for like PVP is also like a really obvious use case. So don't want to go too much into that one. I think like one thing that honestly games are not leaning as much into us, like web two games is player versus environment. Like if you play games like World of Warcraft, you're you know battling boars with Runescape, you're you know doing scaling. And right now, like web three games don't really have this kind of like player versus environment, despite being like a really core part of the gameplay experience. And what that leads to is that these games are hyper dependent to other players being online at the same time. And then once the game starts going down in traction, there's no other players online, there's just nothing to do and the game just dies out. Um so player versus environment is like a really you know, critical parts, like keepers engaged, even if there's nobody else online to play with at the current time. Um, but the problem with player versus environments is, is like, you know, how do you do this in a way that is not cheatable, that is still like on-chain, that is not too slow. Um, and so I think like being able to use ZK to like generate proofs locally and then submit the proofs um, at the end, is like something that's like under research at the moment, uh, but also it's like super interesting. So this is like, I the coolest use case. Um and there's some stuff that we're interested in building at Paima like related really to this that have like better battle systems. Like for our battle systems right now, it's like uh, every action you take is a transaction, which is like um not super great. Um not just because obviously this you know floats the transactions, um the number of transactions for your game, but also because it means there's like a max throughput for the battle system. Like if you have like one second block time, it means that most you can submit one action per second there's a lot of games where like the battle system requires something that's more engaging uh than this. Like for example, like Final Fantasy four, like you have like you know different characters that you're you have in your party and they all have their own like standard bar that they can attack when it reaches max. This fact that there's like you know things happening like really fast is like one of the key parts of that battle system. Is trying to use ZK to like replicate these and doing a lot of like the computation locally is I think uh gonna be super interesting to see how that unfolds.
3: Yeah, I, I think That's an interesting discussion. So maybe if you look forward into the future, like where do you see additional like tools that engines should have? Like at the start, right, we we talked about interoperability. Do you feel like game engines should offer like a tool set for that, for example? Or we talked about off-chain battle service, stuff like that. Like where do you see it developing or is it really... You have to build step by step by just building games yourself and through that you, you build the infrastructure
2: yeah i mean it's really hard for us to build you know a crystal ball to know uh, mm-hmm. you know what's coming up next uh, there's always like the typical problem um i mean for us at Prime studios our key bets are zk um multi-chain nft ownership and uh, concepts like storage proofs so i think like the key areas of tech that we're kind of, like, uh, most interested in, as well as decentralized AI um, as a way to, like, hook that into, like, the player first environment side of things. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, like, the key areas uh, we're currently working on. Um, but also, these are layers of theses that we've, uh, you know, decided to make these bets. Um, and we could be right on some of them. We could be wrong on others. And it's, uh, you know, really hard to predict.
4: On um, on our end, it's uh, we we feel like with the state of the of the engine that they are, uh, we are kind of limited in doing uh, things that are extremely ambitious in uh, in uh, in the on-chain content. But nevertheless, we can do really cool, like simple game loops that are going to be uh, effective at uh, at creating a cool experience and and bringing more players onto using the chain and having a cool on-chain experience overall. Um, and, um, and the all, uh, and so we, we are trying to leverage as much as possible those, uh, those easy, cool game loops that, uh, that are fully on chain. Um, so now it's a, it's a problem of con- content on, uh, how do you use those content on a, on a fully on chain game and how do you make them, uh, appealing and cool enough and, and create a buzz around them? And the, 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 the technical piece that we're missing so far was the, um, was an effective onboarding uh, onboarding method. Uh, that's what we've been met, building for the next the past uh, nine months is now, and we're happy with the with the results. Uh, on, on onboarding was definitely not easy, uh, and uh, and shortcuts like uh, taking uh, what it's a service may, may create a lot of depths uh, in your in your architecture. Uh, so that's where we we put most most of our work, and uh, and we are very happy of where we are right now and what we are going to launch soon. Uh, hopefully, uh, we will uh, we will prove the the market that it's uh, it's possible to do on chain stuff right now for for the for the masses.
0: Okay, some good answers there. I mean, I think for us, it's bringing down the gap between you know our kind of like hacky fully on chain games to to actual games and everything that's in between there. So, you know, whether that's making experiences faster, like a good example, there is a year ago, our VRF was 30 seconds on Polygon, and now we're like three-ish seconds at the worst case scenario. Um, So like just general technological improvements to, you know, getting in and, you know, doing properties of things that are only possible in fully on-chain games. So that whole idea of interop and rewarding people, experimenting with models around that, you know, we saw that one model that I mentioned before of royalties, but, you know, how do we incentivize people to create and and, um, essentially manipulate these on-chain worlds is something that we're gonna start to see over the next six months. And then the last one is like, how can we scale these things? You know, I think we're reaching a point right now where we're hitting the limits of the current approach that we're taking, how do we how do we take this on one hundred x, you know, the amount of players that we can have in a game?
3: Okay, uh, yeah, and thanks a lot for the discussion. I think there's probably a lot more um, to to discuss, but uh, yeah, I think we we can end the discussion here for for today. Um, now everyone has like thirty seconds to to chill. <laughs> Your project yourself, whatever you want. Uh, And we'll put that in the show notes.
2: Yeah, I can go. So at Pima Studios, we released a little over a week ago our new on chain RPG game called Torochi. So if you want an example of like, you know, the kind of game you can build with Pima Studios, it's like an actually large RPG game with the wallet, you know, account abstraction, all that kind of stuff built in. Definitely check it out. It's entirely free to play. It's on testnet. Um, So if you like games, uh, check it out
4: you can check out uh, cosmic battle on epic game store cosmic with a k on epic game store uh, there is a tournament uh, to this weekend uh, with uh, 1000 bucks in loot to 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 claim uh, we're starting to ramp up and, uh, and map the players uh, played out and, and give us feedback uh, check it out uh, you can find it on our discord discord channel on twitter and so on cosmic with a k cosmic battle
0: I'm terrible at shilling. I hate doing it. Uh, we have a game at Pirate Nation. game. You can go and play it there.
1: Um, I have not much to shill, to be honest. I want to thank the three others for their insights and um, I'm glad to be part of this. Um, Playmint is, as already mentioned, one of our portfolio companies. Check them out. They're doing really cool stuff. And um, if you are building in this space, um, reach out to me and uh, we can have a chat because I'm uh, always interested in in cool people building cool stuff on chain.
3: Nice. Uh, Thanks a lot, guys. And see you on the next one. Thank you. Awesome. Bye.
2: Thanks for tuning in to the Deus ExDAO podcast, a place where some of the most progressive and innovative builders, thought leaders, and traders in the crypto space come together to discuss all areas of the crypto industry. Whether you're into DeFi, Layer 1s, Layer 2s, NFTs, or anything in between, we've got you covered. And as a reminder, Nothing said on this podcast should be construed as financial advice or as a solicitation to buy or sell any digital asset or security. The comments, views, and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests on the podcast are their own. As always, you'll need to do your own
1: research.